This is May It Please the Internet, a podcast brought to you by Revision Legal, lawyers who represent businesses that make money online. Hey, everyone. This is John DiGiacomo, and I'm joined with my partner, Eric Mastarevich. Hi, Eric. Hey, John. How are you? I'm good. And this is the Revision Legal May It Please the Internet podcast. And today we are talking about ADA website lawsuits. What's the deal with those? So Eric, I'll let you get us started. What is the deal with ADA website lawsuits and what do they target? (laughs) Yeah, when I was coming up with the title of this pod, I thought that was appropriate because I feel like that's the question we get when people call. They just say, what? what is going on with this? Am I really being sued for my website? And you know, the general answer is, yeah, we're seeing e-commerce stores facing a rash of these lawsuits that are in general alleging that the website is not ADA compliant, not compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act for visually impaired persons. And There's a group of firms across the country that are filing these lawsuits, and the amount and volume of these is kind of crazy. Yeah, so there's some history behind this. During the Obama administration, there was a rulemaking by the Department of Justice that said that the ADA does the Americans with Disabilities Act, which typically applies to provide accessibility in places of public accommodation for individuals with disabilities, applies to websites. And it set this notice of rulemaking to promulgate regulations concerning how the ADA actually applies to websites. And between the time where they said it does apply to the turnover to the Trump administration, nothing really got done. The Trump administration took over, and then they shelved the thing. So we were kind of left in limbo where we knew that the ADA applied. We had no real clear regulations explaining how it applied. And that left a hole to be filled by kind of entrepreneurial attorneys to file suit against companies that they believe did not apply the correct standards to their website to make sure that their websites were ADA accessible. Now, we gleaned from case law during this period that there's a standard that courts like that apply to websites to determine whether they're ADA accessible. And that standard is the WCAG 2.1 standard. And it's essentially just a standard that says, these are the things that you need to do to make sure your website's accessible to everybody. So taking that standard as true, these attorneys began targeting individual website owners and suing them, alleging that their websites were not accessible and then demanding settlements from them. And this kind of world of these types of lawsuits, I would describe them as scammy in a way. You know, obviously we don't believe that websites should not be accessible, but taking advantage of these absence of regulations feels scammy in a way. But these types of lawsuits are nothing new. And, And Eric, we have quite a history here. So let's talk about that a bit. Yeah, I had to kind of laugh a little bit when you said entrepreneurial attorneys. That's maybe the the nicest way I've heard you describe <laughs> the plaintiff's <laughs> attorneys in these kinds of cases. Listen, I get it. Like, you're right. No one is saying websites shouldn't be accessible. But you'll see as we go in this episode, there's a history of kind of taking advantage of these situations. And 
eventually it comes out that, you know, half of these are fraudulent, right? And like, it feels scammy, it smells scammy, and we come to find out a lot of it is. And, you know, we have been litigating online business issues for a long time, and we've seen this before. And so there's always a flavor of the week, you know, back seven, eight years ago, we saw a lot of stock photo businesses file lawsuits for copyright infringement. And there was also a huge increase in filings from this free play music. They provided music that you could download and use for your YouTube videos or whatever. But it became very confusing because the license you got for the free version, it was not a sync license. And so if you actually went through the process and went down a rabbit hole, figuring out what license you actually had to pay for, then, you know, no one did that. Everyone just got the free one, used it, and then they turned around and got sued. And we had a rash of those lawsuits and fighting those. That was a fun one that lasted for a while. But I think the one that's maybe the most well-known is the BitTorrent lawsuits and the infamous Prenda Law situation. Oh, yeah. Steele and Hans Meyer. <laughs> the, the classic case of flew too close to the sun and got burned. Yeah, so this was a situation where we started seeing all of these lawsuits being filed against IP addresses. And, you know, we quickly got clients and became involved in negotiating settlements regarding these cases. And they all followed a similar pattern, which was the plaintiff was allegedly a rights holder in adult movies. The defendants were alleged to have been in a BitTorrent swarm downloading the copyrighted work. And the message from the attorney for the plaintiff was, we're either going to name you publicly and everyone's going to know you downloaded porn, or you can pay us a little bit more or a little bit less than it costs to defend the case. And, you know, I remember having long, long talks with clients on this who were really torn and upset and embarrassed and mad and kind of lost on what to do here. And this became a thing that was popular in certain courts, especially the Eastern District of Michigan. I mean, I checked the docket. There's still these cases being filed by, what is it, Strike 3, I think? is Yeah, the, Strike 3. The, yeah. So as these cases became more popular, more attorneys started aggressively defending the cases and clients started paying to defend the cases and things started to unravel. And John, why don't you give us a little 101 of this really fascinating story about this law firm called Prenda Law? Yeah. So Prenda Law was a law firm, but it was also apparently a porn production studio because Prenda though they were claiming that they were representing the producer of the movies, they were producing them themselves. So they were actually creating these adult films and they were uploading them to BitTorrent as a honey trap and getting people to download them and then suing them and naming them these lawsuits and extracting these settlement fees from them. And I remember early on having the most sketchy calls in the world with some of these guys. They had this paralegal slash uh, apparently wasn't actually a paralegal would call and he'd make a demand. I remember talking to Steele, who I think at the time was a divorce attorney or some other area of practice. 
but they just devoted their full time and effort to this scheme and it, it didn't work well. There was a group of, you know, for lack of a better word, Twitter attorneys, people who just got together on Twitter and said, enough is enough. We're going to go after these guys and make sure that these lawsuits end. And a number of our colleagues were involved in this. We were partially involved in it. Nick Ranallo, who's out in Seattle, was involved in it as well. He's a friend of ours. And ultimately, the whole thing fell apart, and Steele ended up getting five years in prison, and Hans Meyer got 14 years in prison. So ultimately, the scheme didn't work out. They had to repay you know, whatever money was left, and they're all spending time in prison, and it lost their law licenses. I mean, it was a tremendous story. And just to see it unravel, you could see the motions being filed and picking apart what was actually going on. And the the so-called IP experts that they would hire were seemingly made up. The whole thing was essentially a sham where there was not even a real plaintiff. And the whole thing was a scam. And it happened and unraveled kind of in slow motion through civil court filings. And then eventually the feds got involved and indicted them. And yeah, Hansmeyer apparently was not cooperative and fought the whole thing and got 14 years in prison for doing this. It's just a wild story. And so like when now when we see this new crazy amount of ADA cases being filed, it just automatically brings me back to these free play music scams and this Prenda Law issue of what's actually going on here. And so when we have these ADA cases, the first thing you have to have is a plaintiff, right? A plaintiff has to actually have this bona fide intent to actually use the website. But John, you've experienced a bunch of very unusual plaintiffs <laughs> looking for, for items that you would not expect, right? Yeah. Well, you had an issue with my entrepreneurial description. Unusual would be <laughs> would be a similar <laughs> description. We've had cases where a blind individual complained that they were not able to complete a purchase for gun parts or for car part accessories, where men complained that they weren't able to buy nursing pillows. You know, these are the types of cases that these individuals file. And at their core, they don't pass the laugh test. But the difficulty is, just like any other lawsuit, does the cost of defense outweigh the cost of settlement? And that's really the sweet spot where these attorneys are making their money. What they do is they realize that ADA cases are fact-based cases, which means that you have to develop a discovery record, and they're not easily dismissible through motions to dismiss. And so they know it's going to cost a bunch of money. And so the settlement offers are typically just below that cost of defense. And it makes you, if you know, if you're a rational individual, make the choice to settle as opposed to fight the case. And they're pretty scary. I mean, most of the cases, when a plaintiff gets the case, most of the time they are captioned as a class action. So it's not just this one visually impaired plaintiff. They're actually suing on behalf of all visually impaired plaintiffs that might have tried to use that website. So it doesn't matter what size e-commerce store you are. If you wake up one day and say, I'm facing a class action ADA lawsuit, 
that's going to be a real problem in your normal course of operations. It's going to be a huge distraction. It's going to be very stressful. And you're going to have to do something to respond. And normally, you know, how we see these are there's either an initial demand or they go straight to a lawsuit. If they do make an initial demand, they might not wait a whole lot of time before actually filing. I'm surprised actually how aggressive they are with actually filing these cases rather than seeking to settle prior to suit. But I think for them, being the plaintiff's attorneys, it's rinse and repeat. It's just a matter of the exact same template document being uploaded and paying the $400 filing fee. So, you know, if you're an ECOM owner and you wake up one day and you have this kind of lawsuit, you know, John, I guess, what's your advice the, when someone wakes up to this kind of email? Definitely talk to an attorney. I think it's worth talking about. There are a number of things that are developing in this area that are worth discussing. In California, as you said before, there is a requirement for a bona fide intent. So you must actually have had an intent to purchase the product or use the service. And it can't be just this kind of made up intent. It actually has to be an intent that is objectively verifiable. So did you purchase the product from somewhere else? Did you make multiple attempts to purchase the product? So that's one thing. And then in California, particularly, you have to have a physical storefront. So the cases now say that if you are a website owner and there is no physical storefront tied to that website, then there is no cause of action under the ADA. That's some Ninth Circuit precedent now. So there's a number of defenses that can be raised, particularly on the West Coast and the Ninth Circuit, that you know, if you talk to an attorney, we might be able to end the case or end the claim early. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to be able to, because there are other jurisdictions where the case law is not so friendly. In the Eastern District of New York, for example, the case law says that you must have a physical storefront. But in the Southern District of New York, which is, you know, just across the state and it covers Manhattan and New York City, you don't have to have a physical storefront. This conflict in the law becomes an issue. And it, again, it's to the advantage of the plaintiff's attorney. So talk to an attorney. Let us sort out what your defenses are and whatever leverage we might have to either get the case dismissed, get them to not file the case in the first place, or to push that settlement demand down based on the emerging case law that we're watching. Yeah. I mean, talk to an attorney like that is a very it might sound simple, but that is the right answer. You know, I mean, what you're describing right now is conflict between circuits. That is not something most people understand. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast of stuff you should know, and they're explaining legal precedent and how does it work and how does it matter? And they were trying to explain the federal court system. And it was a mess. <laughs> Their whole point of the podcast was to explain it, and they did not do a very good job of it. So understanding how the law can be different in one circuit from another, even understanding what those circuits are, is something that is just not like intuitive to how this all comes together. And having that, an attorney who understands how this all works is just going to guide you in the right spot or in the right direction right away. And you know, listen, nine times out of 10, even though you may not have done anything wrong, even if the plaintiff maybe didn't have that bona fide intent, 
even if you have some other defenses, a lot of times settlement makes sense because it's business. You're not out to prove who's right. Now, if you want to be that kind of white knight and make new law and defeat them and for the good of everyone else, then that's fantastic. Most people don't want to take on that risk. They want it done and get on to their normal life. If you are one of those people, reach out. I want to do it. Let, let's do yeah. it. hundred percent. I'm ready to go after these guys. The problem is it's not really rational in most cases. And also this is why they target smaller companies, right? So they're going to target e-commerce companies ranging from 1 million to 200 million in sales. They're not going to target like they did originally Domino's Pizza because these types of companies, these larger companies fight back. So they're going for the guy in the middle who has, he has money or he or she has money, but not enough money to say, you know, F you, I'm going to drown you in litigation. So it's important to talk to an attorney to understand what your defenses are. And, you know, it's also important to understand that in this area of the law, there are no real clear answers all the time. And I had an individual that we were talking to that wanted to hire us for one of these cases get upset with me recently because I explained that though California has this rule that you don't have to have a physical storefront, it doesn't necessarily mean that that ends the case because there's a number of ways that these attorneys can replead their pleadings in a case and still drag you into state or federal court. So all of these things are important to consider and we will help you. An attorney will help you make the business decision as to whether or not it makes sense to fight or settle. So it is worth talking to somebody. Yeah. And when you're talking to an attorney though, you should not expect to get great news from an attorney. <laughs> Our job is not to make you happy. Like I always tell people, if you're thinking about hiring an attorney, they should cost more than you want to pay. And they should tell you mostly bad news. Like that's what a good attorney does. If they don't cost a whole lot and they're telling you everything you want to hear, that's a red flag, you know? And so it is really frustrating when clients get mad that we, and I think I probably treat CPAs the same way. It's like, God, all I hear is bad news from you, but that's our job. And our job is to be frank and direct and tell you the risks. And, you know, the reality is these lawsuits are a problem and they're not going to go away easy. And again, nine times out of 10, if you can get that number down to a reasonable number, it probably makes sense to pay and, and move on. I just had a great idea. We should do one of those man on the street TikTok videos. Hey, what's a what's a red flag when you're talking to your attorney? <laughs> I think that's that's the next next piece of media we're gonna do. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And one other thing to know is that a lot of these cases are bullshit. And I get it. And we do the best that we can within the confines of your budget and your goals to solve the problem for you. But over time, they may likely go away. I mean, there's been some recent pushback in California, particularly where local DAs have actually indicted some of these attorneys for manufacturing plaintiffs or filing voluminous lawsuits that are boilerplate, set, you know, 800 at a time, 400 at a time. And so we're starting to see a turn in the other direction, which is great. And then it also, when you're thinking about, should I hire an attorney? Who should I hire? Hire somebody who knows these cases because a lot of these people have history and we can 
utilize that history to put some additional leverage onto them. So a good example is there's one attorney, I'm not going to name him, who has had problems with the Bar Association in the past for similar cases. So in every response letter that I'm going to write to that guy, it's going to raise, you know, without directly raising it, those similar issues to create this aura of fear to say, this is where this is going. If you want to continue and you want to not accept our settlement offer, this is where it's going. So knowing those little nuances, understanding the landscape, those are the things that you need to look for when you're looking for an attorney in this area. So I would caution you from using just kind of a general practitioner. Look for somebody who knows this stuff. We're going to cut to the chase a lot faster. I mean, we've probably litigated these ADA cases against, I would say, most of the plaintiff's firms that are filing it. I mean, my recollection, it's there was a lot of California before the law changed and then a lot of New York, a lot of Pennsylvania cases. But like, you know, I'm looking through the article about the indictment out in California and they referenced that one plaintiff was a plaintiff in 800 lawsuits. Another plaintiff was a plaintiff in 1700 federal lawsuits. I mean, that's not real. Those are not bona fide cases. That is manufacturing lawsuits. Could you imagine if every attorney was like, let's take a deposition, and all of a sudden there's 1,400 depositions scheduled? It's absolutely wild. So, you know, what do you think about proactive steps? You know, if, if you're an ecom store owner who hasn't been down this road before, you know, do you think there's real steps you can take to try to avoid this? I have two answers to this. One is no, there are no real steps that you can take to try to avoid it. And the reason I say that is, and this is very cynical, so I apologize in advance, but the reason is that I have had clients who hire consultants for hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've done the rehab of their website to comply with WCAG 2.1. They have adopted a accessibility policy. They've adopted a, a robust terms of use agreement. They've implemented a number at the top of the page that tells people that you know, if you can't make an order, call us, we'll help you make one. And they still get sued. So how do you defeat the cynicism of an attorney that sues on that basis? It's impossible. So there's going to be a certain portion of the public that will just get sued because they just aren't lucky. Outside of that, the advice that I give clients is make sure you've had somebody look at your terms of use agreement because a user of your website that arrives at the website and, and interacts with it can assent or agree to your terms of use agreement, which contains a clause that says you have to file suit in my place of business where I live, or you have to arbitrate a case where I live. And you can also make them waive class action rights, the rights to file a class action lawsuit. So that's one step. Another step is obviously hire a developer, run the waive accessibility tool. That's typically the tool that these plaintiff's attorneys will use when they say that your site is not accessible, run it, look at the errors, hand those errors to your developer, and then fix them. If it's too costly, fix the critical errors and work on the other stuff over time. And then make sure you adopt an accessibility policy that makes sense and actually adhere to it. So train your staff on if we have a visually impaired person who calls in, how do we address that? Or what alternative means do we have to place an order? And then run your site through a screen reader to make sure that somebody who might be using a screen reader actually understands how to interact with your site through that device. 
And if you are a Mac user, you can just open Safari and there's one built in. And that's what I do. And funnily enough, there have been several cases where I have done that. And the first thing that the screen reader reads is the phone number for accessibility purposes. And they still got sued. So these are no guarantees, again, but these are the types of steps that we advise clients to take if they want to protect themselves from these types of lawsuits moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a good way of framing it. I mean, there's basically some low-hanging fruit that you can knock off, that you can make your, your website better in relatively simple ways. Don't try to be perfect. You know, Don't try to spend a ton of money and time and effort on being perfect because these lawsuits, you know, some of them may not even be real to begin with, but the cost of settling it and moving on is still far less than fighting it. And, you know, if you have taken some initial steps to, like you said, the screen reader, the terms you use, things like that, you give your attorney some firepower to come back on the other side. And, you know, giving us a little bit of leverage does go a long way. So, those are all good steps. I think really good advice is do the easy stuff, do what you can. You know, it's probably a good thing anyways to have these kinds of things in place for people that need it. So, you know, view it from that context. And if you get sued, you handle it. It's not the end of the world. It'll be over within, you know, a couple months and you'll move on. Do you ever see people get sued more than one time out of this? And I know that's a concern I've always heard clients have when they, they're settling one is, how do I know I'm not going to get sued again? I have, you know, I for years I hadn't. And then this year I saw somebody get sued three times, which is just absolutely insane. And I've seen another one that got sued twice. So it does happen. I mean, there's just not a lot you can do about it because unless you fix your site, you're going to get sued and you have no defenses. So you got to really think about rehabbing your site if you get sued once. It's just it's yeah. just the right thing to do. It's a pretty risky move for a plaintiff's attorney because I think at some point by you know, you get sued multiple times, you're like, F it, let's fight. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I'm done. Like I'll I'll fight this one tooth and nail. Now I'm so sick of dealing with this. Let's just go all in. So it seems like a dumb move from a plaintiff, but who knows? Yeah, we're not dealing with the most up and up people in the yeah. world. Right. So, right. The big thing is don't ignore it. Don't, if you do get a lawsuit, like you might get a threat letter and you may ignore it. And I can't say if that's right or wrong. I think a lot of people would do that. But if you do actually get sued, do not ignore it because if you don't respond, you're going to lose by default. They're going to get a damages award that's way higher than it should be. And then they can come and try to take your assets. So these, even though some of the substance of these cases may be questionable, the lawsuits are real. And if you ignore it, it'll go badly. Yeah, I agree completely. Well, that's all we have for today. Uh, thank you, Eric. And thank you to all of you for listening. Again, this is the Revision Legal May It Please the Internet podcast. And we'll talk to you next time.